This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And this is going to be a real treat. Uh, on January the 19th, Pavel Dimitra, Big Walt, Keith Kachuk, and my next guest, Mike Leute, all going to the St. Louis Blues Hall of Fame. Mike Leute joins me now. Mike, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I am doing well, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, always good to catch up with you. Uh, it is indeed, and uh, I, I am curious. I'm, I'm always, um, I'm always curious about the moment, uh, the moment you get the call, the moment you realize, holy smokes, I'm going into the the St. Louis Blues Hall of Fame. You know, there's a, a, a beautiful video of of uh, the late Pavel Dimitra's wife, and you know, when 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 she's told that that Pavel is going into the St. Louis Blues Hall of Fame, what was what was your moment, Mike? Well, um, I got a call earlier this. Uh, summer asking if I was from the blues, if I was going to be in St. Louis at any particular time. And my wife is from St. Louis or that area. And uh, it just so happens that we're there for the opener. And they said, well, we're doing a series of interviews with uh, former players, et cetera, et cetera. Could you come down earlier? And, um, you know, we could video the interview, tape the interview. I said, sure. So we're all set up to do the interview, and Bernie Federko walks in with his jacket, and the whole thing was the roof, so good. right? So and, good. Uh, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was good. And, of course, Bernie and I were, you know, we were drafted to the Blues along with Brian Sutter in the same year. We were teammates for half a dozen years. And so it was, that, that part of it was very nice, right? I mean, that was, yeah. that was good, really good, yeah, really good. Well, I mean, I um, uh, I grew up in Toronto uh, and watched a Toronto Maple Leafs team in the Norris Division uh, get beaten up on the regular by teams like your St. Louis Blues. And you know, I've uh, I, listen, I've followed hockey for for decades, and um, I, I seem to be able to. I feel quite comfortable saying one thing about the St. Louis Blues with authority, and that is. You are the greatest goaltender in the history of the St. Louis Blues organization. Mike Leute, when you hear that, what do you think? Well, um, I don't know, Jeff. You know, it's uh, my idol, and the guy that I copied the butterfly from was uh, Glenn Glenn Hall, and he happened to play on that team. So I'm, uh, I've always told them that his jersey should be in the Raptors, and they said, you had more credentials in St. Louis than he did, to which I said, and we wore the same number, of course, and I said, uh, minor detail. Uh, my, I, I stand by what I said. So that's how I, I treat that. And with regard to the Leafs, we did have a lot of success, but because I know you're a big fan. The first game I played at Maple Leaf Gardens, we got thumped pretty hard. My mom was at the game, and that was the last game in Toronto that she went to. She spent uh, <laughs> my other Toronto games babysitting the grandkids so that she could she could turn the game off if it wasn't going particularly well. So, you know, like everything in this life, there's there's an ebb and flow and and that that was yeah. uh, I always get a chuckle over that. That's that's a good mom, right? I, I, I'm glad my kids played in the <laughs> NHL. I will not watch them get thumped, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me tell you. You know, my um, uh, I was a goaltender growing up as well. I never came close. 
uh, any anywhere close to playing in any sort of you know uh, respectable uh, respectable league. Like when I didn't get drafted by by the OHL, I quit, which showed you my level of commitment. <laughs> but but nonetheless, um, you know my my mom my mom uh, passed away when I was 16 years old. And like anyone, you know, I really wish she, you know, would have been there when I came upon the realization that there is a very special place in heaven for goalie moms. And I see it with the goalie moms <laughs> yeah. with, with my kids' teams, right? So you, you can you can well appreciate yeah. here what, what moms go through. Like, do, do you share my sentiment that there is a very special corner uh, in heaven where all the goalie moms reside? Yes, there's without question, without question. And the, and the stories are varied, but they all have the same theme as my mom's uh, reaction to this. My first game in Toronto is that they just, sometimes they just can't stand to watch. And uh, I had a, a yeah. client um, that uh, were between periods and I was coming back to my seat and I passed his mom and uh you know on the concourse and i was she was going leaving the seat they just dropped the puck i uh, what are you doing <laughs> i spend the second period just walking the concourse <laughs> she couldn't yeah, even watch the game it. when she was there yeah no it's it's a it's a very yeah. difficult and i i would also say i'll go one step further and say you know right beside the moms are the spouses and you know significant others of the goalies oh, yeah. because they they live and die it. I mean, they're, it's, it's right there for them. It's, it's a tough deal, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you just got to keep reminding them, you know what, when, when, you're, when, when, you're, when your young son lets in a goal, that means that five other people on his team made a mistake. Five other people <laughs> sure. made a mistake first, and then they got to your son. Um, okay, let, let me have a, a couple of questions about the, the career. We'll focus in specifically on St. Louis, and hopefully we get to park a little bit of time and talk about Cincinnati. But um, when you look back on your St. Louis Blues career, what, I mean, listen, 81 was so great. I mean, five five votes away from, from Gretzky for the Hart Trophy. I mean, what a what a season you, ter- you turned in, um, 1981. Your, your thoughts on, you know, what were your career highlights with the St. Louis Blues? <laughs> Well, first of all, it was you know you're you're drafted by the team that drafts you. That's that's a different team, right? We all know that we don't necessarily stay. Very few finish their career where they started. Yeah. But the team that drafted you, I guess naturally or for some other reason, it seems that that's the consistent reaction is that's your team, and um, and so it was for me with St. Louis. Um, uh, you know, we we. Uh, you know, it was a team that was had fallen on some pretty tough times, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a uh, really strong finish to my first year, 79-80. And the next year, we were a couple points away from winning what is now the President's Cup, or our trophy, rather. And um, with the Islanders, they beat us late in the year. So it was, it, was a, it was just a great year where everybody seemed to have their best year. And... Um, you know, and then, and then you know, it kind of shifts from that, right? You have to learn, you know, losing is part of winning. And, you know, one of the, you know, my, so the highlights, the all-star game, you know, I was the MVP of the all-star game. You know, they're all great uh, highlights or, or memories, right? That we had, you know, I think everybody plays in the NHL. They're, for the most part, they have great teammates and there's, there's just so many, you know, uh, great experiences and, you know, stories that you tell 40 years later, right. And all that good stuff. And, you know, the, the, and part of the memories and part of the experiences 
things that didn't go well, right? And and for me, it was, you know, we kind of got close to the sun and we fell off and then we're, you know, we had a couple of lean years and then we're on our way back and then we get traded. And and that was that was a tough deal, um, you know, to get traded at that time under those circumstances. Of course, you know, the ownership, uh, when I was drafted, when Bernie and Brian and I were, were uh, you know, were drafted, uh, the um, I'm coming out of school the following year, and the Blues ownership, the original Solomon family, the original owners, just let the franchise go, you know. And then, you know, yeah. I signed in the in the WHA, and because uh, there was no NHL team, you know, for that summer, and and Ralston came yeah. in, they did a terrific job with the, with the hockey club, and then there was a shift in leadership there. They sold the team, and you know, it just seemed to lose. You know, St. Louis was was a team that seemed to be our franchise that was modeled a little bit, you know, like the Leafs, like the Montreal Canadiens, like people went to those games, they went out for dinner, they got dressed up. It was a big deal. It was, it was, yep. it was a model franchise. And, and then it, it really took a South turn and, um, and then they fought their way back, you know, and it would have been, it would have been great to, you know, to play there longer, you know, it was, it was, you know, that, and, and those things, but, you know, we we're, we're still have lots of friends and lots of acquaintances and, you know, teammates. And when we see each other, it's it's like we can, you know, I played in the all the uh, outdoor game for a few minutes, uh, you know, the Winter Classic. And it was like we just pick right back up yep. from where we were in 1985. Yeah. It's like we hadn't hadn't been out of the dressing room more than five minutes. And and that is that's the best memory of all for me. And, and um hmm. Uh, you know, it was Kelly Chase that really twisted my arm to come back, and, and I always give him credit because I never, I didn't want to do it. I hadn't, I'd been on the ice once in 18 years, and I came back and played, and it was just a, a marvelous experience. And that was the experience. It was to be there with Eddie Stanowski, who was, we played together when I first started in St. Louis, as a, you know, a goalie tandem, and then, you know, all the guys that were around that team that whether they played in the game or not, it didn't matter, right? We're in the locker room. We're having a lot of laughs. And, and that's the best memory, uh, you know, for me is, was just that, is that is renewing that experience and reinforcing what it meant. I just love it. Uh, Mike Leod is my guest. Goes into the St. Louis Blues Hall of Fame January the 19th along with Pavel Dimitra and uh, and Big Walt, Keith Kachuk. Uh, I got to try to sneak in one WHA story here. I got to try to squeeze one out of you here, Mike. So you were um, the last WHA goaltender um, to be active in the NHL. Mark Messier would have been the last forward um, to do so. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were on that Cincinnati Stingers team that had the infamous turkey giveaway night where they brought fans onto the ice. Is that true or false? Gosh, I don't remember that one. I, the, the, you know, the Turkey, and we've talked about this before, the Thanksgiving trauma that yeah. I endured in Birmingham my first year, I blocked out all the other Turkey days when we had that famous brawl. But I, I don't, I don't really remember the, the Turkey uh, giveaway, but it sounded consistent was, with, were... with the shenanigans. Was there, is there one WHA, WHA story from your time in Cincinnati then that you look back on and you still shake your head now? Because, I mean, there's there's numerous from that old league. Is, is there one that you can share with us from your days as a stinger? Well, you know, it was, um, yeah, I mean, there, 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 there were so many, um, you know, zany, crazy, embarrassing, you know, moments for, for hockey that I don't – 
I, I, I don't <laughs> generally share those publicly. I mean, they were, it was just, um, just a different, different time. Uh, I will share this one because everybody knows Mark Messier and the leader and of course the leadership yep. award that's, that's named after him. And he was just a 17 or 18 year old kid. I am thinking he had to be 18, but he was, for where he was, he joined us halfway through the year, and he was he was just all over the place, as any seventeen or eighteen year old kid would be back then. And and to yeah. to to see him three or four years later, you know, is sort of the uh, you know the the real lesson you know to kids today, right? Like when you're seventeen, eighteen, you're somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's where you're going to be and what you're going to put put into the game to become that player. But I've always remembered, you know, just how out of sorts Mark was and out of his element he was at, at that <laughs> point because of his age. And he turned into such a dynamic and, you know, uh, larger than life, you know, player a few years yeah. later, three, you know, like not more than three years later. And of course, the legacy, you know, carries on. He was just such a force on and off the ice and uh you know up to and including when uh, i think it was 94 95 he were in a lockout and he called uh, a press conference in new york and you know nope he didn't tell anybody in toronto with good now or anybody and he just as the story went he had the press conference and new york media was there and he walked in and he had his meeting to just tell everybody, he said, the other side's wrong, we're right, and that was the end of it. And I'm paraphrasing it, but, you know, I mean, he was just such a dynamic guy. And, and this, you know, to see him as this, you know, just, you know, young colt at, at 18 years old, it, it was, it was you know, sure. it's a, you had to be there to see it. But, you know, there were, there were lots of good stories about good young players. Of course, Gretz played there. Mike Gardner, uh, you know, uh, Goulet, Ramage, you know, there were, you know, Birmingham had, had that group of, yeah, Rick Vive played, yeah. And, and uh, you know, so it, it uh, you know, it, we, we had a lot of, there were a lot of good stories in the, in the WHA. And, and um, you know, my, you know, you know, personal, you know, was, was meeting Pat Stapleton, right? He, he came to our team at yeah. the end of, uh, you know, and, and it, it, my first year and, and uh, you know, the impact that he had on my career, just rooming with him and being around him for a few months and the, just the lessons and stories. He was he was really an insightful sure. guy. And it, that was so that was the WHA. It was, uh, you know, it was all over Love the map. It, it was. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. It is always great catching up with you, Mike. Congratulations again on the nod uh, going into the St. Louis Hall of St. Louis Blues Hall of Fame, January nineteenth. It'll be a great day. Uh, you go in with the uh, the late Pavel Dimitra and Keith Kachuk. Thanks uh, as always for stopping yeah. by. Great parking time with you. Yeah, again, yeah, Mike. yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, later. There he is Mike Liute, uh, the best goaltender of the eighties. Hmm, discuss amongst yourselves. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local, Matt Marchese, what are your eyeballs on tonight? I mean, i got to stretch them in multiple different directions here, but I'm going to go with the Oilers 16, at the Wild. The puck line is mm. minus one and a half for Minnesota. Um, this is a lot more of a lopsided matchup historically than I thought. 
The favorite is 5-0 and in the last yeah. five meetings. The home team is 4-0 <laughs> and in the last four meetings. The Wild are 28-7 and in the last 35 matchups between these two teams in Minnesota. 8-1 and one in the last nine. Edmonton does not win at the XL Energy Center. And don't look now, but it just got more difficult because there is no Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. And the lineup, uh, one to two weeks with the upper body injury. Uh, Jay Woodcroft saying they're still hoping he could be available for the Heritage Classic on Sunday. For the Minnesota Wild, no Jared Spurgeon. We know about that going back to the preseason as well. Alex Goligoski uh, is on LTIR. You know, uh, it's a big, uh, big moment for a player like Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, we always talk about, you know, Eiserman's out, Fedorov raises up, uh, Crosby's out, Malkin's turn, et cetera, et cetera. This is the big, another big shot here for Leon Dreisaitl, who always raises his game when 97 is out. But a big opportunity as well uh, for someone who made a lot of over the past couple of days for how he, uh, or what he said, rather, with Scott Oak in the second intermission or Saturday's game, and that's Evander Kane. This is a big chance. This is a big opportunity. This needs to be a big reset for the Edmonton Oilers. Things have not gone swimmingly, as we all know, for Edmonton to kick off the season. Here's your chance, because 97 is not jumping over the boards to save the game. The Minnesota Wild have lost two in a row, losing to LA 7-3 and a CBJ in overtime, 5-4. I'm with you, Maddie. Uh, I love watching the Minnesota Wild, and I'm really curious to see what the Oilers are going to do without Connor McDavid. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook. Bets local when we come back. Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Brian Ray, broadcaster for the Dallas Stars. Here comes Hour 2. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. (laughs) I don't think I'll ever get sick of that goofy intro. Uh, Yes, random fact of the day. So tonight, around the NHL, 16 games on the go. The league has done this before, and they'll do it again later on this season. Um, But it got me to wondering, this is a lot of games tonight. These are a lot of teams in action. Has there ever been an NHLer who's played two games in the same day. And there has. Two that I've been able to isolate with the help of my good friend Paul Patsku from the Society for International Hockey Research. For my money, the greatest researcher the hockey world has ever seen. So the, the one is Rocco Grimaldi. So Rocco Grimaldi, who is now playing with the Chicago Wolves of the American Hockey League, the independent Chicago Wolves of the American Hockey League, which is controversial to some, but nonetheless, a story for another day. Back in 2014, so he's playing with the Florida Panthers organization and the AHL affiliate for the Florida Panthers at that time, the San Antonio Rampage, um, and they're playing at 1030 in the morning, one of those school games. A lot of the AHL teams do it. Uh, The kids get out of school to go watch an American Hockey League game. And so he's playing his uh, San Antonio Rampage or facing off against the Oklahoma City Barons. And in the second period, he gets pulled out of the game because the parent team has, excuse me, an injury. Nope, that's not true. An illness. Uh, 
Alexander Barkov falls ill and will not be able to go that night against the Los Angeles Kings. So they pull Rocco Grimaldi out of the game, get him on a plane, and send him to Los Angeles where he plays his second game of the day. Panthers lost the game, but nonetheless, Grimaldi ends up playing two games in the same day. So I called up my buddy Paul and said, give me some historical context on this. And right away, Paul says, Bob Beckett, let's do some research here. So Bob Beckett from Unionville, Ontario, November 17th, 1957, was playing for Springfield in the American Hockey League. Uh, the Boston Bruins call him up for a 3 o'clock game against the New York Rangers, plays on a line with Leo Labine and Don McKenney. After the game, hops on the train to go back to Springfield to play a game against the Cleveland Barons. So it ha- and I'm sure like I'm sure there's other examples of this. Those are the only two that I've ever really been able to, to isolate. And as Paul always reminds me, be very careful when you say someone was the first to do something because hockey stretches back decades and a lot of what was going on may not have been documented. So I'll come shy of saying it was the first, but maybe the first that I could find of a player playing two games in a day. One in the NHL, one in the AHL. Unionville's Bob Beckett, who, by the way, apparently had a great fight with Ivan Irwin, who many call the toughest player in the history of the NHL. Uh, But that fight took place in the American Hockey League in the minors. So there you go. Those are your random facts uh, of the day. 16 games on the board around the NHL this evening. It all gets underway at 6 o'clock Eastern with the Toronto Maple Leafs facing off against the Washington Capitals. And it concludes with an 11 o'clock Eastern start. Stay up, all you lazy dogs on the East Coast. The Philadelphia Flyers facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights in 11 Eastern start. No Morgan Frost in that one. Uh, Mike Kelly joins me now from the uh, NHL Network. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks. Um, as you might expect, I love very much the random hockey fact of the day. So, um <laughs> The... Good work with that. I'll give you mine. I uh, I once, for a okay. time, played in the longest road hockey game, Guinness Book of World Records, ever. Oh, yeah. it, it has since been broken several times, but I did that once for charity uh, quite a while back. I think we played for like 28 or 30 hours or something. Uh, it was a lot. Mm. You, you know what I always thought would be a really good charity initiative, like the uh, the world's longest uh, uh, road hockey game is is certainly a great one. Or you know you just stay on the ice as as long as you can. We've seen people do this with various exercise challenges, you know, uh, push ups, chin ups, treadmill, whatever. But for with a with a hockey flavor, I, I've always wondered, and I don't know if this has happened. Maybe it's happened at a uh, sort of at a, at a local level, but never nationally. I've always thought the idea of passing a puck across the country. As far as a uh, a charity initiative, a charity initiative could be a real fun one. What do you think of that one, Mike Kelly? I I love it. Um, okay, we've got a, a lot of interesting terrain in our country, as you know, and also like, how many, <laughs> how many, we talk about like driving across Canada, right? So if you're driving across oh. Canada, it's like two days in Ontario alone. Like, how are you going to pass a puck? How many people yeah. would you need to pass a puck that far? That'd be cool. Hey, oh, I'm in. Is- so I'm one. <laughs> okay. I'm in. I would love to do it. I'm sure a lot of other people do it. I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people would happily, you know, double up, triple up, quadruple up and, and be part of this. I don't know. Like I just throw the idea. There, there's like, 
there's like the, there's there's the um the, the logistics out of all of this and uh, that's not where I fit in. I'll just throw out the idea and let someone else actually sort it out and I'll just pretend that I'm so intelligent here coming up with this great idea when really yeah, I know all the, the heavy I know lifting on the podcast be done by someone else. Yeah, I know sometimes Elliot gives you some grief on the podcast for your ideas, but I, I subscribe to the to the Matt Damon quote on this: is that <laughs> don't judge me how bad my bad ideas are; judge me by how good my good ideas are. And you've got some good ones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I've had some turkeys too. Let's let's be honest about it as well. <laughs> well, here, here's one of the things. Here's one of the things, Mike Kelly, um, that I'm wondering about here. When's Morgan Frost going to play again? The Philadelphia Flyers. Morgan Frost. Well. Right now, with the Philadelphia Flyers, is uh, they're playing pretty darn well, right? Yeah. So you look at uh, and like I was looking at their bottom six today. Um, you know, obviously having Atkinson and Couturier there and all that is great. But their bottom six—it's not like the bottom six is scoring a ton of goals for them or anything. But um, just mm-hmm. in terms of doing what they're supposed to do, uh, which is break even if not better, they're doing a great job. Like that—that that third line of Cates and Faraby and Bobby Brink has been. Really good, like expected goals percentage close to 80%. The fourth line is over 80%. Like, you get an added to your bottom six, that is outrageous. So, yeah, maybe maybe a game-to-game thing, I don't know. But uh, there's been some interesting, interesting um, player decisions kind of with a few different teams this year. Uh, it's certainly true, and, and and again, it's early as well. I just, you know, and Elliot and I were going back and forth on on, on this one in our our regular season preview show. I looked at the Philadelphia Flyers and I said to Elliot, you know, given what John Tortorella does with the teams, I mean, you know this, Mike, he squeezes every last drop of compete out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, like, do, you know, are, are the Philadelphia Flyers bad enough? to be in the Macklin Celebrini sweepstakes for the NHL draft. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're bad. They still might end up there. But what a great start. I mean, who saw Sean Couturier not only coming back, but coming back and saying, you know what, now that Patrice Bergeron is out of the equation, um, the Selkie Trophy race is very much up for grabs. You know, after two years out, can Sean Couturier jump back in to that conversation? That line with Owen Tipp and Cam Atkinson has been fantastic. Uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. players like like Bobby Brink and, and Joel Farabee. I, I'm so happy for Farabee. You know, last year wasn't able to work out coming out of the coming off of the artificial disc replacement um, surgery. Had a really soft season by his or or really any other standard, and you know he's come right back to where we thought he could be in his career. Like, there's a lot of great stories right now for the Philadelphia Flyers, but will someone please remind them that this is supposed to be a rebuild, that this is supposed to be accumulating high picks in the first round? Like, the winning is all nice and good, but that's that's not the plan here this season, Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, again, good luck when you've got John Tortorella as your coach. Uh, good luck when you got Keith Jones at the top as well. Um, like, there's, yeah. there's people that are wired to win there, and... and like he said he wants to get Morgan Frost back in the lineup. The Flyers aren't going to rip off like nine out of their next ten games in wins, so I think there's going to be opportunity for it to happen. But um, yeah. you know, like I said, they're 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 not only you know playing well in terms of their record or or scoring goals or not giving up goals. Like the stuff underneath is really good. They have the best expected goals against of any team in the league right now. It's five games, um, but that's yeah. just team defense. I wouldn't have guessed that even after five games. Like small samples can be funny. Um, sometimes they can be hilarious too. So I give them I give them a lot of credit. 
Listen, they're facing off against a team right now that are showing no effects of winning the Stanley Cup last season, playing deep uh, into the season, you know, uh, you know, being involved in the last game of the season and on the right side of things in the Vegas Golden Knights. Do you have a thought here on, on how they've been able to do this, even despite the fact that, you know, Alex Petrangelo, you know, with the injury, uh, Zach Whitecloud, the injury as well. Uh, I always think back to what Glenn Sather used to talk about when you have a championship team, you still, you know, want to refresh the team next year. So you, you, know, you change up about 15% of it. There's, there's no change. I mean, Riley Smith's in Pittsburgh, given that money yeah. went to Ivan Barbashev, but this is basically the same team that Kelly McCrimmon and Bruce Cassidy have come back with this season. And I'll be honest with you, they look like they had, they, they've, they've picked up right where they left off last year, Mike. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And and to your point about missing some guys for a little bit, right? Um, Petrangelo, we could talk about Martinez is back now, but they were missing him for a bit. Uh, White Cloud, yeah. I mean, that's three of your, your six defensemen. Um, they, what I love about the Vegas Golden Knights is if you look at last year's playoffs as an example, like you could argue that their third pair defense pair was one of the best in the playoffs. It was incredible for them. Um I think they have the best fourth line in hockey. And I go back to that Edmonton series, especially like that. The bottom six won that series in a lot of ways. Um, So they're they're well balanced. And the thing that I appreciate about this team the most is if you want to, and Dallas tried it this year in a a little bit, you want to go out there and and be physical and and throw some knuckles around and and try to push Vegas out of a game. They'll stand up to you and, and they can beat you that way. Yep. You want to play an up-and-down game, they can beat you that way. You want to play a dump-and-chase game, they can beat you that way. Like there's, there's not a way to play the game that they can't be successful in. I think that's what separates them not only from a lot of teams, mm-hmm. but a lot of great teams in the league because there's other great teams that are not as multidimensional that way. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I love, too, is you're watching you know, probably the other team you'd think of in terms of great starts in the West right now in Colorado. These teams are built so differently and play differently and it just goes to show you there's not one way to do it. And that's what I think is so one of the great things about the sport is, you know, one of the things that bugs me always, you know, the type of work I do, right? Analytics. And it's like, well, analytics says this or that. It's not one or the other. It's not a right or wrong. Um, and Vegas is a good example of this is one way you can build a team. And man, have they built a great one in that way. Okay, you mentioned the Avalanche. I, I want to get there, and I want to focus in on one player specifically, and that's Alexander Georgiev, um, who's played, I mean, if, if you look at the numbers and you look at how he's played, it's sensational so far, and Colorado are one of three undefeated teams to kick off the season so far. For anybody watching this on uh, television on 360 and not listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, one of the things you'll see is over my right shoulder is a, uh, a framed picture of Jill Malosh. And I always mm-hmm. maintained that if Jill Malosh hadn't played on the Seals and a bad North Stars team and the Barons, et cetera, and played on one of those powerhouses in the, the 70s, whether it's the Boston Bruins or the Islanders or the Habs or whatever, we'd be talking about him the way we talk about, you know, Bernie Perrant and Ken Dryden, et cetera. You know, sometimes goaltenders are so much a product of their environments um, that they don't have to shoulder an incredible load uh, the way that, you know, goaltenders on elite-level teams do. Like if you put, you know, Ken Dryden on the same teams that Joe Malosh played on, whether it's the Seals, the Barons, or the North Stars, I don't know that we're talking about Ken Dryden the exact same way. I think you know where I'm going with this one. Who mm-hmm. is Georgiev 
Is he really this good, or is he a product of this elite environment in Colorado? He's both, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like it's he's he was in New York, would put up really good numbers, kind of underlying numbers as well. I think one of the biggest inefficiencies, if we're talking about hockey in a general sense in terms of evaluating, um, is trying to separate team defense from goaltending impact, which is what you're talking about, right? Um, there, mm. There's really goal, good goalies. Like, I'll just pick one. There's a lot of examples. But, like, Sam Montembeau had a great year last year for the Canadians. His goals against average and his save percentage were not good. We know why that is, right? They, they bleed scoring chances. They got, yeah. they got pinned in all the time. Uh, they weren't a good team. Um, but so when you start to do that, you can start to see which teams defend well, which teams don't, which goalies play well, which goalies not as well. Um, and then you get the examples of the teams that defend really well and the goalies that play really well. And that's your, that's your Holy grail. If you can find that. And that to me is what Colorado is. So you look at the avalanche this year, the second in goals against their second and expected goals against there's, you know, top. 10 and if not top five, almost every key defensive metric that, that relates to allowing goals. And then he's played well on top of that. So it's, it's both. But I think as much as you would talk about Georgiev being a great goalie, you need to talk about Colorado okay. being great defensively, which we rarely do because they're so great offensively. And those two things are intertwined. Mm-hmm. And they have, I'm going to try to get this to Vancouver here, and they have the best pair of defensemen in the NHL, the pair of Devon Taves and Kale McCarr. Here's yeah. my question to you. How close right now are Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick to Kale McCarr and Devon Taves? Oh, I don't think close. Um, and I say that with great respect for Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick. Um Mm-hmm. I, I love Quinn Hughes a lot. Like, and, and people will get on him about his defense. I know in Vancouver, in that market, this has been kind of going nuts over the last few days. Quinn Hughes is one of yep. the best defensemen in the world, right? I'd have him for sure top 10. He could be top five, give or take, whatever year we're talking about. Um, and they've, look, the team's done well this year. But again, like Vancouver is one of the most stark examples to me of a team um, that's 3-2-0, and um, that's had some good games, a couple for sure. But everything under the hood does not look great. And these things tend to fall off pretty quick. So if all things are equal and it keeps going the way that it has over the next five games, the next 10 games, I think we're looking at a team that's under 500 and fighting it. Um, You know, Hughes and Roenick have got off to this really good start. They are a good pair. I think part of the problem in Vancouver is that you put them together, you've got a great pair. Your bottom four is in big trouble. Um, and you split them up and you don't have a great first pair. Like you, they're just thin. And, and so you're, you're fighting it one way or the other. Um, I agree with you for sure that, that Taves and McCarr are the best D pair in the league. Um, and, and these two in Vancouver have been good to start the year. But uh, like I said, under the hood, there's, you know, you need to go see the mechanic pretty quick. <laughs> um, okay. Let me, uh, let me ask one more thing. I got a couple moments left here with you. Uh, I've been talking a lot over the past couple of days, I think we all have, about the Detroit Red Wings and their yeah. starts. And we wondered which of the Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, Troika is going to be the first to really distinguish themselves as pulling away from the pack and grabbing that spot. And Alex DeBrinkett has found early success. Dylan Larkin has found early success as well. 
what's happening here? Like, what do you see? What do you like from, from, you know, the peak under the hood? Okay. Let's, uh, let's have a look at what we're really, what we're really looking at here. What do the numbers behind the numbers tell us about the Detroit Red Wings right now? That power play has been red hot and it's not going to be that hot forever, but, but underneath it, it it still looks like it should be a very good power play, which is, which is great. That's, that's all you can hope for. Um, So if that thing keeps going, Let's just say at a top five rate, regardless of the percentage, that's that's really good. Um, they produce a lot of really good shot opportunities. Like one of the ways that I measure that is looking at the average goal probability of, of every shot a team takes. Theirs is the highest in the NHL right now, um, power play and five on five. So they've got the first line has been one of the best lines in the league, if not the best to start the year, uh, Raymond Larkin and Debrinket. They've got good depth. Like Andrew Kopp has been unbelievable to start the season he's getting tons of looks and scoring points um you know perron's been playing well they've their decors is good and better than i thought um like this is a team that um in a every summer i build a player archetype model that evaluates players overall and in a whole bunch of different areas and subcategories and then ultimately the teams themselves and it had Detroit so high that, like, I, I almost dismissed it in a way because every model is going to overvalue and undervalue certain things. Um, it, it's never perfect. And I was like, man, this has got to be an outlier because when we talk about Detroit, Ottawa, Buffalo, it had Detroit as the best of the three, and I just didn't see how that could be the case. Um, yeah. Clearly, I'm not as smart as I think I am uh, in terms of just watching hockey, but um like they've been really good so far so goaltending has always been the thing to me with that yeah. team that you wonder and and it's been very good so far can it stay that way um but yeah every, everything i've seen to this point suggests a team that should be very capable of hanging around that playoff race and being competitive okay which games last one for you which games or is there maybe just one game that you really have your eyeballs on tonight there are 16 to choose from good luck watching all of them although we can drop <laughs> into all of them what do you really have your what do you have your eyeballs on tonight mike kelly you won't believe me when i tell you but i wanted to watch anaheim columbus because i thought it would be carlson fantilli but carlson's not playing now so yeah. i think i'll pass on that one um, yeah, hang on. Pa- pause on that for one second. What do yeah. you make of that move? I mean, Pat Verbeek and Greg Cronin have talked about, you know, really being selective how they use Leo Carlson here instead of just like Bedard or Fantilli throwing him in. What do you think of that? It's unique for sure, which probably shouldn't be surprising coming from someone like Pat Verbeek, who's, who's not afraid to, to go his own way with things. Um, yeah. He said he really wants to ramp him up in the second half. And, I think every now and then, if you've got a guy watching from upstairs, it can help a young player for sure. Um, this is a bit different where we're talking about, you know, really missing games and then I guess coming back in here and there and, and bigger in the second half. Yeah. Um, it's very unique. I, I don't know. Like I, I think players kind of want to play uh, at whatever level they're at for the most yep. part. Um, I don't, I don't know how, you know, what his thoughts would be on it. Leo Carlson himself. Um it's unique. I don't really have a, a great answer as to whether I think it, it's definitely going to work or not because it's kind of, in a way, unprecedented, I guess, as far as I can think of how they're doing it. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the only thing anyway, that I come back to on this one, the only the mm-hmm. only thing that I come back to on this one, Mike, is I can recall 
might have been the first, I think it might have been Crosby's first season. I don't know if it was an injury or another type of situation, but he wasn't, I think it was an injury, um, first or second season. And uh, he was watching from above for the first time. And I remember asking him about it, and he said, you know, it's really interesting watching from up top because when you're on the ice, you feel like you don't have any time to do anything. But I watched mm-hmm. from above, and I realized, you know what? I have more time than I thought. He said it gave him a greater perspective of what's actually happening with him on the ice, where he thinks he's in a situation where he should be rushed. Actually, he has a little bit more time than he thinks, and you only get that when you watch the game mm. and when you watch the game from that vantage point and you're not involved in it. Does that maybe resonate with you? That, that It does, and like that's something a player can then take with them their whole career, right? Just that lesson from watching yes. one game to whatever it was. Um, I remember a few years ago, I sat in the press box for a couple periods with a player who was suspended at the time um, that I knew. And just watching it with him up there and having him point things out um, and kind of laughing about like how easy it is from up here. And all you and I ever see or people like us is up here. Right. Um, so (laughs) I try to catch myself when I'm like, well, it was a bad turnover. Why did you do that? Or why didn't you make that play there? It's so easy to see. Well, I don't have, yeah. you know, uh, Radko Gudis about to, you know, butcher my head off with, with a, a shoulder. <laughs> so these guys do. So I try to be a little more sympathetic that way. Um, but I, I think there is a good reason why you see rookies and young players sit yeah. up top because it gives you that, like w- what you just said, like what a great example that is for the lessons that you can try to learn that way. Hundred percent. Heavy on time, Mike. Always appreciate your offerings uh, and your expertise and your analysis. Uh, you be well. Um, enjoy all the games you choose this evening. No shortage of them. Make sure you if you're gonna get if you're gonna get some gym time in uh, or get on the bike or something. Do it early because six o'clock hits. You're not going anywhere, Mike Kelly. <laughs> you are on the couch, my friend, like the rest of us. The next time I get gym time in will be the first time, but uh, thank you very much for the <laughs> offer to, to go and do that. I, I may do five push-ups in your honor today. Okay, anything to help, anything to encourage uh, healthy living and fitness. I'm yes. always about that. Thank you, Mike Kelly. You be well. All right, you too. Thanks. Uh, Mike Kelly from the NHL Network and Sport Logic, uh, having looks under the hoods of the car. What's real? What's legit? Um, what's real news, what's fake news. Um, interesting perspective there on the Vancouver Canucks as well. We'll see what happens um, with that squad. Matt Marchese is aboard. Matty, uh, we got a lot of games here this mm-hmm. evening, and it kicks off with the Leafs and Caps at 6, finishes up with an 11 o'clock start. So the, the bags under the eyes will just be a little bit deeper for everybody who's staying around uh, to watch the Philadelphia Flyers and the Vegas Golden Knights. That is 11 o'clock Eastern. Uh, what do you got try balls on tonight? Actually, can we do a follow-up? A couple of follow-ups. One on yesterday's show because you asked sure. about fighting in the NHL. So our oh, friends... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Good, 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 good. Yes. Our friends at the stats department, uh, they sent me the average per game since 2018. So the average in okay. uh, 2018, 2019 was 0. 0.354 fights per game. Yep. It has gone up yep. every year since. Uh, last year, it was 0. 0.509. This year, so far, uh, yeah. not including last night, 0. 0.815. So 0. 0.3 fights per game. Yeah, up. that's a... 
that's that, that that's real. But we'll we'll see if it stays just under a fight per game um, all throughout the, the the season as well. But it it just seems, I mean, it really just feels to me like to kick off the season and it might just be a a byproduct of how. You know, nobody eases into a season anymore. You know, once upon a time, like, you'd take, like, the first couple of weeks, and so the veterans would feel this way, like, ah, I just got to ease my way into the season. First couple of weeks really don't mean a whole ton. I'm, you know, we're going to be there at the end. I don't want to I don't want to uh, go too hard to kick off the season. Everybody hits the ground running now, and the pressure is on to gobble up every single point you can because everybody around you is doing so. And you know that that's gonna that that's gonna play come uh, come March and April. I wonder if that's a product of that because coaches, as coaches are always stressed, but managers are stressed, players are stressed, like everybody is stressed. And historically, that hasn't really happened until, geez, I don't know, Maddie, like after Christmas, maybe mm-hmm. January. But in the last however many seasons, and these are all piling up now, it seems like the stress starts early. Like the minute the exhibition season is over, the stress level just goes through the roof and it stays there until free agency is done. Yeah. What and, a way to live. Yeah, no, honestly. What and, a way to live, Maddie. So so I also here's another as you were talking about that, talking about the stress, when you look at the guys that are fighting, it's a lot of guys that are trying to keep their jobs. And a lot of that with the tight cap and everything, it's like I may not have another chance at this, so I better do my best to stay up here. Like that's that's been the case in the past, but I feel like now it's a lot more because it doesn't happen as often either. I feel like guys are trying to stand out a little bit right now, and I wonder if that's mm-hmm. part of the conversation either, uh, as well. Um, go go ahead because I'm looking something up right now that you also. No, I was like. just, just going to say like I I I wonder how much of this is a byproduct of you know we've gone through a wave where the premium is on skating speed skill skating speed skill. And one of the things that I always remark upon, I go to any rink, like junior rink, whatever, and NHL, AHL, uh, everyone's a good skater, right? Everyone can mm-hmm. handle the puck. Everybody can shoot the puck. What, everyone's, what managers are asking now, or organizations are asking now is, what else can you do for me? Like, what else do you offer? And it's, you know, it's, it's a rare hockey player now that can blend toughness in with all of that. Which is that we've always talked about Tom Wilson, which kind of makes you know Tom Wilson a freak, is that he's someone who's a tough, uh, b a little dirty, that's fine, but can also skate and play the game. You know, not unlike um, Ty Domi so many years ago. As much as everyone focuses on all the fights that Domi had, he was a really good skater. Yes, he was. Ty Domi was a really, really good, really, really good skater. Um, so I, I am curious maybe if this is a byproduct of, okay, we know you can skate. We know you can shoot. Um, what else can you give us? Yeah. Because I can assure you every year around draft time, managers are saying to, to their scouts, find me another Tom Wilson. Mm-hmm. Find me someone like that. So that's what we want in this organization. And maybe now people are saying like, send me another Arbor Jack guy. Oh, okay. Montreal. Perfect. Perfect segue. Um, you're so good at this, okay. Jeff. I, I can't imagine. We didn't talk about this, so this is great. That was a, mis- um, <laughs> was a, mis- a mistake. Uh, speaking of uh, Arbor Jackai, I just saw a fight th- uh, between his brother, Florian, and Sawyer Bolton from London. <laughs> Holy, Jeff, if you haven't yeah. seen this fight from about 10 days ago, it is an yeah. absolute slugfest. Holy smokes. Like, you don't see fights like this very often, and these yeah. guys were throwing them. 
Yeah, you know, you know, Maddie, I don't know about you, and, and maybe it's a byproduct of having three kids, where once upon a time I, I you know, I, I could get into it and enjoy it, and at the NHL level I still can. <sighs> Watching OHLers or Western Hockey Leaguers or Quebec League kids fight, I don't know. I can't. I, I'm, I'm right there. Like I don't know. If I can do it anymore. I get it. It's I just like, have an appreciation I really don't for like it. Watching kids bash their brains. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Like your brain's not even close to fully. Like I, I know what you're saying. It's like, and fighting is a thing. As much as it's capped, and what is it in the OHL? After three fights, you start getting suspended. I think so. Yeah. Um, and in the I, Quebec, you can't I even fight. That. I just. Uh, well, you, you just you just face suspension. Well, and yeah, you get ejections. Um, Western League's the only one that hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, there's a new commissioner coming in in the, in the in the Western Hockey League. We'll see if there's a a new direction with the Western Hockey League around, amongst other things, fighting as well. We'll we'll see where that heads. Um, but I don't know that I can really do it with junior hockey anymore. Yeah, now you're changing. You're making me and, feel uh, bad. I think I think a lot of it is. <laughs> no, don't feel bad. Like you're a dad, you're gonna you're gonna get there one. You're gonna get there one day too. It's funny too because you know there are a lot of people that have a theory. Let me know what you think about this. Mm-hmm. That um, as the NHL, however many years ago, started to really curb the violence or do something about bad hits, where once upon a time it was just like keep your head up. Yeah. Oh, he's gonna need the smelling salts. Oh, kabungo, keep your head up out there when Scott Stevens is on the ice. You know. There have been a, a few people that have pointed out that the minute that we started to see a lot of managers or coaches or whomever in the NHL, as soon as their children mm. started to make it in junior hockey, Division One, American League, mm-hmm. NHL, all of a sudden, I mean, it's a natural instinct as a parent sure. to try to make things, create an environment where they're safer. Um, that all of a sudden, then things like we started to see Rule Forty Eight, and you know the the Savard hits go away, and you know really start to police what's happening out there. Um, there are some people that say that's not a coincidence. That all of a sudden, when you have skin in the game and it's your kid, and you're in a position of power and or influence in a league like the NHL. And there's a chance your kid may play in the NHL. You want to make it as safe as possible. Anyway, there are a few people that, that yeah. see that as as more than just a coincidence. I think that's fair. But I, I do know I do know what you mean. Like, listen, kids can throw down. I just, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. I can do it anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I, I can see that. It was, they were just very. They were very talented. Uh, knuckle chuckers. I will say that. Um, uh, we have to yeah. take a break because you got to talk to Brian Ray. You're going to be coming in here tomorrow. Remind me to tell you the Ivan Irwin yeah. story that I have. You've got an Ivan Irwin story? Mm-hmm, sort of, yeah. You'll like it. It's right did you up ever meet here. him? I did. I did. That's why. So we're going we're gonna to table it. Because How do we not got- have this conversation? How do we not have this conversation? <laughs> because we were talking about fighting and I wanted to get that in there. We can have that conversation tomorrow. I'll be here. You'll be here. We can do that. Where did you meet Ivan Irwin? Hang on. Last thing before we go. Uh, Where did you meet Ivan Irwin? They did uh, uh, like a charity game for like coaches versus alumni in my minor hockey association. And because I knew the guy that was like that got all the former NHLers, um, Jim Thompson, who uh, runs the Aurora Tigers junior A team out here in the GTA. uh, I was actually on the bench. So I was opening the door for a bunch of guys. So I'm going to give you the list tomorrow of all the guys that were there, including Ivan Irwin. That's the coolest thing in the world. That you're not cool enough to hang out with Ivan Irwin. <laughs> no, I'm no not. No one's not cool enough to hang out with. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs>
Oh, uh, that's great. Okay, I look forward to that tomorrow. Let's, well, I'll, I'll remind you to get the Ivan Irwin story. You know, there, there's like significant people in the history of hockey that say he was the toughest ever. I personally think it's Fern Flam and Arlen Kurtenbach, these types of guys, but who knows? Uh, okay, we'll hit a break. We'll get on the Dallas Stars page here in a, in a couple of moments. There are 16 games on the go around the NHL. Uh, Brian Ray stops by from Bally Sports. Uh, we'll talk about the Stars, uh, both from a team point of view, where they look good, like Dallas is good, and Jim Nell's probably going to add, and from an individual point of view as well, as much as we look at trophy races early, uh, Mira Haskinen's making noise, and rightfully so. Brian Ray from Bally Sports Southwest uh, stops by the broadcast here in a couple of moments. Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, tonight you can see the Dallas Stars facing off against the Pittsburgh Penguins, one of... 16 games on the board tonight. Everybody, your team is in action tonight. Brian Ray is the uh, host at Bally Sports Southwest, covering the Dallas Stars on a consistent basis, here to shed light on a team that will be making noise all season long, and they hope and we suspect deep into the playoffs as well. Brian, thanks so much for stopping by today. How are you? I'm doing good, Jeff. Good to talk to you, man. Hope you all are doing well up there. Yeah, we're doing great, and uh, I don't know if we're doing Miro Haskinen great, but uh, we'll throw that out there as the first topic of discussion here on the uh, on the program. You know, probably didn't get uh, as many votes as he should have last year for the Norris Trophy. We'll talk about the, the Stars' entire team here in a couple of seconds, but, you know, the, the Haskinen topic has, has always been a fascinating one for me since he was drafted uh, third overall by, by the Dallas Stars. Um do you look at Miro Haskinen right now and say he's still, much like Sergei Zuboff, I guess another Dallas defenseman from years gone past that was underrated, you know, even though he should be considered in the conversation amongst the elite um, blue liners in the game, he's still not there yet but belongs there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, well, down here in Dallas, obviously, when when people don't recognize Miro Haskinen, we they take it as a personal slight on themselves because that's how much they love the kid down here. But I think Sergei yeah. Zubov is is a good comparison because of the style of play. Um, Scott Niedermeyer, I think, is another player that is 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 a good comparison. And and with the the Miro Haskinen, I'll I'll call it situation. It's kind of a double-edged sword because one of the benefits of playing in Dallas is it's not the bloodthirsty media spotlight of Toronto or Montreal or New York or Boston. Mm. So you get to live your life, and and he's a laid-back, low-key, very relaxed guy. So I think he probably enjoys having that type of lifestyle. But the other side of that is – you don't get all that attention, so you're not always going to be near the center of the conversation or, or involved with it as much. And yeah. can that cost you Norris Trophy votes? Sure, it can. Um, but I think for Miro Haskinen, and, and he's already decided to have his eight-year lengthy extension locked in you know, from a couple of years ago, 
he clearly enjoys the lifestyle down here. He clearly enjoys the organization, and he thinks this is as good of an opportunity to to win hockey games and win a Stanley Cup as any. So it's clear where the priorities are, and I'm sure he would love to have a Norris Trophy, but like many hockey players, the cliche, if they could choose between the trophy or the cup, they're going to take the cup uh, every time. The interesting thing about Dallas is, though, as you well know, there to document it day in and day out, is you know we always talk about windows, and this window's open for this many years, and then it closes, and it'll stay closed for another few. You look at the Dallas Stars, and you know they've made the transition from this most recent era of the Dallas Stars, which was like about a cozy five minutes ago, to the new era of Dallas <laughs> Stars, led by, you know, Robertson and Ottinger and the aforementioned Miro Haskinen and Wyatt Johnston on the horizon and more prospects, whether, you know, Maverick Borks on the on the horizon, Logan Stankhoven on the horizon. Like, it's an, kind of an embarrassment of riches here. And I think a lot of that is a, a wink at one, uh, the reigning general manager of the year, the Jim Gregory Award-winning uh, Jim Nill, and also the scouts. You know, this is the scouts of the lifeblood of, of any organization. Yeah. I think that the, the, if I can say this respectfully, as much as it's going to sound disrespectful, the most mistreated people in the entire industry <laughs> or the most taken-for-granted people in the industry. Like, like bravo. Like, the, the scouts have kept this Dallas, and, this, and player development is huge, too, but the scouts have found players to keep this window open for the Dallas Stars for a number of years. So as that Pavelski and Ben and uh, Suter and Sagan group, you know, wander off into the, the twilights of their careers, the window remains open and maybe they'll be even stronger than the previous generation. Do you have a thought on that one? Well, first of all, to go full sarcasm on you, yes, the scouts are vastly mistreated, but at least their travel is terrible during an entire hockey season, depending on where they're located and who they have to cover. <laughs> but but yeah. it's, it, 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 it's amazing. Yeah, it, it's amazing what a 2017 draft can do for an organization when you hit on, on some of the players that Dallas hit on. And, and Jim Neal is the first to deflect all the praise to – not just his scouts, but the hockey operations department overall, especially as we dive deeper into the world of analytics and, and the way data gets can, broken down and constructed. But I, I think for Jim Nill, he, he doesn't like to use the word window a lot of times when we talk to him. He, he wants a team that can make the playoffs every single year because once you get in, you know, some people believe it more than others, but you really do have a true chance if you can get into the dance. And so if you look at the way he's structured contracts, you know, a, a couple of years ago, he had to re-sign Jason Robertson and Jake Ottinger over the same offseason, even though they were RFAs. Well, he structured those contracts. They're not going to come up again at the same time. So he's yeah. trying to find a way to sort of maneuver and manipulate contracts to where you're not stuck in this, gigantic hole where you're just loaded with a, a number of key UFAs and there's only so much money in terms of the cap pie that can go around. So he's always trying to structure different things. And if you look at Wyatt Johnston's entry-level contract compared to Maverick Bork or Logan Stankoven, those are also staggered. So so for Jim Nill as, as sort of the the overseeing eye of all this, he is trying to structure the roster and the organization to try and maintain as competitive of a balance 
year to year to year from a three-year to five-year to eight to ten-year window, however you want to look at it in terms of the long-term aspect of things, so that there is a competitive aspect to the Dallas Stars. Now, what mitigating circumstances or you know special little breaks or special seasons sort of fill in some of those gaps, that's usually a difference between maybe a team that reaches the Western Conference Final or the Stanley Cup Final versus a team that loses in a seven-game series in round one. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the um, one of the players that whenever I get a chance to watch Dal- the Dallas Stars live, one of the players I have a hard time taking my eyes off of is Rupe Hens. Um, one, because he's a large individual, and two, man, he's a large individual that moves really fast. You know, like the, the big guy that can that can move his feet. I mean, this is a story that goes back to, I mean, Jean Beliveau would turn heads. Wow, we're not used to seeing a big guy like that move his feet. And then it was Eric Lindros when we really were stunned, like, wow, look at this large man who can really move his feet uh, out there. And I look at Rupe Hands as much as, you know, love watching, you know, Robertson shoot, et cetera, or Haskin and skate. Sure. I can't get my eyes off Rupe Hens, and I still think, much like with Haskinen and his position, you know, Hins, uh, Rupe Hens is one of the more underrated number one centers in the NHL. You know, we always talk about Mika Zibanejad of the New York Rangers. Oh, he's the, the forgotten elite centerman. He's the number one centerman in the New York <laughs> the New York Rangers organization. You know, it's the Big Apple. How, how, can, how can he be underrated? Um, I say the same thing about Rupe Hens. Like any other market, put them in a, a big, huge Canadian hockey market, and you know they're uh, they're building statues and writing folk songs about the guy. It's for as much as we we pumped the 2017 draft, he he was not involved in that one, and I I would argue he is probably the most dynamic player on the Stars roster. Haskinen's pretty impressive as well, but but if you want to look at the forward core, Rope Hints is probably the most dynamic. I think something that also gets lost in the shuffle with him is when you look at his journey, he he was a winger when he played over in Europe and he actually converted himself mm. to a center during his time in the American league. Cause I was in the American league with him when he came over to North America. And the first goal he scored in the AHL was exactly what you would expect watching him play. Now it was a speed play muscling his way around a defenseman from neutralized to the offensive zone and a backhand roof to goal forehand to, or forehand to backhand. It was pretty impressive. And you're like, wow, that is not something you see every day in an American league game at the level he did it. But the way he's transitioned himself from wing to center, middle six to top six center, then power play. He's had penalty kill responsibilities added on. There's, there's layers to his game that have just been steadily built up over the last, I would say, four to five years. And, and yeah, as you said, you could say underrated. You could say underrecognized. I go back to the comment I made about Miro Haskinen, maybe a little underrecognized in, in top defenseman conversations. Part of that, once again, is the, is the, the penalty of, of playing in Dallas. But he's another player that chose to sign a long-term extension, another Finn. We, we love our Finns down here in Texas. Yep. Um, but yes, you do. He, he just seems to, he seems to be one of those players that has found a, a, a really good spot for himself, but he's also put himself in this position because of the details and the layers that he's added since coming over back in the American league. Uh, they've always loved their fins uh, with the Dallas Stars, as <laughs> you can well recall. Um, okay, uh, I, I, <laughs> 
Well, that's right. Like, one of my favorites. Can we please give this another Selkie Trophy to a winger? I mean, first of all, the Selkie Trophy was created for a winger in Bob Gainey, and Yuri Letton, I believe, was the last winger to win it. Uh, let me conclude on this one. I'm going to give you a chance. Now, as a Blue Jays fan, I'm going to hate to do this, but nonetheless, I'm gonna, the floor is yours, Brian. Gloat about the Texas Rangers on their way to the World Series. It's, uh, it, it, I think down here, everybody's pretty fired up. And I actually, I, I got to work a couple Rangers games over the summer. So it, it's fantastic to see the team go on this run to do it against the Houston Astros. It's look up North of the border. If you want to talk, oh, yeah. you know, battle of Alberta, those type of rivalries, things like that in a baseball sense in Texas to have it Houston versus Texas. It was, it was mean. It was a mean series, man, between those two fan bases. But for me personally, I've had the chance to get to know a a couple of people within that organization. And, you know, Merrick, you were talking about scouts and and their impact on organizations. There's a lot of people on on a business side or a front office side that equally get unrecognized. To get to go on a ride like this after losing basically 190 baseball games the last two years combined – how do you not just you're not you're just so happy for people like that whether it's your organization or a different organization like those sure. people are having a magical ride to enjoy here so i'm thrilled for them that was my biggest thought after watching that game last night Adolis garcia I mean, you talk about the journey and you talk about getting there and how long it took and how many false starts and the personality uh, now garcia Right, and he's huge. I mean, jump off the page, yeah. jump off the diamond. It's great. I just love it. I just love it. Listen, uh, it's the Stars and the Penguins tonight. Um, it is uh, one of 16 games across the NHL. Uh, enjoy it, and let's catch uh, let's catch up real soon. Okay, Brian? Yep, great to talk to you. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the games tonight. Thanks, guys. There he is, Brian Ray, uh, Valley Sports Southwest host and analyst uh, with the Dallas Stars. So, as I mentioned, it is the uh, the Frozen Fury tonight, and it kicks off with the Leafs and the Capitals at six o'clock Eastern. I mean, this one is this one's going to be fun. Um, Frozen Frenzy, sixteen games, thirty-two teams, staggered times, which is key through all of it. Second time in NHL history they are doing this. Uh, the final game is eleven o'clock Eastern, with the Philadelphia Flyers facing off against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, just to circle back on the headline story of the day is well broken live on the show here with uh, Elliot Friedman in the first block. Uh, the NHL, the NHL Players Association, as well, um, along with the uh, the uh, one of the one of the player inclusion committees, um, will be announcing that there is a climb down of the ban on Pride Tape players will be able to use um, whichever tape they deem fit to promote whichever cause they choose as well. That'll be announced at some point this afternoon. Uh, So that unfortunate headline is now done and gone. Uh, that is a news story of the day. The other news story of the day is going to happen around 5 o'clock Eastern today, and that is when all 32 NHL teams have to submit their yay or nay when it comes to the idea of decentralizing the draft. Doing the draft not the way that they do it now, but more along the lines of how the NFL does it or the NBA does it. From this corner, as I've mentioned every time the topic comes up, I don't like it. I think it hurts too many areas of the game itself, whether it's uh, the players, whether it's the families, whether it's the players' association, whether it's the corporate sponsors, like go to rights holders, all of it, go right down the list. The number of stories that get written, I think it's a bad idea. 
But nonetheless, guys, I think we might be headed that direction. I can read the tea leaves right on this one. Maybe best case scenario, it's a split and they push off a decision until later, but we'll see. If you like the draft the way it is now, I'm not so sure you're gonna like how this voting is going. We'll see. We'll see. Enjoy tonight. Frozen Frenzy, 16 games. Back tomorrow.